0: Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osban, here with my friend, Khavuta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachet Ketubot, daf nun gimel, page 53. Well, our daf begins, actually, in the previous daf, with a very interesting story uh, that shows some of the negotiations that took place when people got married. And I point this out because I think one of the things we paid attention to in our study of daf yomi is when the Gemara goes from Discussing halakha, and then bringing sort of practical, real world examples, and this is one of the few that we've seen so far in Masach Ketubot, and I think it's actually a very interesting story uh, that shows a little bit like how some of this worked, um, and I also think it is a little bit of an unfair ending. Rav Papa isek be Abasura, so Rav Papa wanted his son to marry to the family of Abasura. Azil Mihtavla tavla and um he went to basically, you know, watch the writing of the of the Kituba. Shma Yhudabar Maymar. So uh, so Yehuda Bar Maymar heard that Rappa was coming. Nafakata <speaking> itchele. <in Hebrew> and so he came and presented himself to him, like, you know, to show him kavod. Um Ki <speaking> Matulpitha. <in Hebrew> so when they got to the entrance of Abba uh Abba of Sura's house, right, Haveika mifat Mepatar Mine. So Rev Yehuda bar meimar basically wanted to leave Rav Papa and not go into the house with him Amarle Ummar bahade. so Rav Papa says to him, "Let the master come in with me. you came to honor me. Why don't we go in together so Rav Papa saw the uh you know Rav Yehuda bar was not didn't like the idea of going into the house so he says to him right uh, what what is it that you're upset of at me Shuta Rav Yehuda." Are you, do you not want to go because Shmuel said in the name of Rav Yehuda, right? Shinana, right? You shouldn't be a partner in the transfer of inheritance even from a bad son to a good son because it's not known what will come from the bad son. In other words, the idea is, is that Was he thinking, did he not want to go in uh, because he was thinking about this statement of Shmuel who said in the name of Rabbi Huda that it's not a good idea. Let's say you had two sons. One was a good son, one was a bad son. You decide you're going to transfer everything only to the good son. Why? Because maybe the bad son will end up having good children, right? And even more so, right, one should not partner in the transfer of inheritance from a son to a daughter. So hi, Nami, Takanta, de Rabbananhi. To Rabbi Shimon ben So Rabbi Papa continues, and he says, uh, "You know, basically, are you worried? You know, what he figures out is maybe he's worried that if Yehuda Bar memar goes into the house, it's going to sort of pressure Abba, uh, you know, Abba Surah to basically give more money for the dowry." And so he says, "This is also a takana of the Chachamim that a father has to basically provide a dowry for the Chachamim," and it was said in the name of. Rabbi Yochanan, in the name of Rabbi Shimon ben Zakkai, right, that, and which was quoted on the previous page, that basically a man should take, you know, this initiative and basically give a, a dowry as large as the portion of his possessions that his son will get in the inheritance, um, and that that's what should happen. Amar Lai. so he says, Yehuda ben Meymar says to him, Hanemee midate." this applies only if the man gives of his free will. In other words, it needs to be of his free will to give this dowry but what but should you force him to do it um our or our papa answers right did I say to you that you should you know enter and force him right um right I just said you know come in with me but don't force him so there's this very funny exchange here because it's like Yehuda, bar, you know uh yehuda uh uh you know is Yehuda bar memar is basically saying like you know that if I go, right, it's gonna, you know, kind of force him, uh, Abba Absurah, to sort of give more money. And Repubba's kind of playing this game. He's like, no, 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 you're just going to walk in with me. You don't have to force him to suye. Right? So he says to him, just my going in, this is what Yehuda bar Meimar says, is basically going to force him. It's going to make him increase the dowry in my honor. So Repubba basically forces him to go, and he enters. So he's silent because he's annoyed to be there, and he sits there. And so therefore, Abba of Sura thought that maybe what Yehuda Bar was angry with him, right? Because he's sitting there and he's not talking. And so therefore, he writes a dowry that he basically gives. Everything that he has to this dowry, Amarle, right? And even after that, he still sees that Yuda Meymar is not speaking to him. And Abba Surah says to him, He says, Even now you won't talk, right? He says, By the master's life, I've left nothing for myself. So it's just this whole story is like kind of like I don't know that I want to say it's comic, but it's like a series of misunderstandings, right? Where Papa. In a way that I don't know is totally genuine, sort of forces Yehuda Barmaymar to come. Yehuda Barmaymar resents being there, so he sits there angry. So in the end, he does end up negotiating in a way by his behavior, this huge dowry for a papa's son, uh, because Abubsur is so worried that he's angry with him. And then he sees that he still isn't talking, and he says, "Like, what else do you want? You know, basically, what else do you want from me?" So Amarle, so Yehuda Barmaymar says to him, Emi naidi day." Right, if you're acting for my sake, I feel I la Then even what you wrote, it doesn't agree with me. In other words, you shouldn't have done what you thought would please me. so he says some hashanami so He says, "Fine, I'll retract it." And then, in a way that I think is so unfair, Yudabar Meimar basically is like, "No, no, no, I'm not even going to let you get away with that." Amarle shavuye nafsheche had hadrena like Right, so he says, "I didn't, I didn't speak to." You so that you should sure should turn yourself into the kind of person who retracts his words. So in other words, nope. Now, it's fine to be like very, very, very unfair. So I, I'm not quite sure what to make of the story um, because I think it's like you know it wants to show the negotiations, and I think part of what this story is showing is that like these types of negotiations were very fraught and very, very delicate. I think the other piece of story is trying to show is that maybe these really should be things that are negotiated just between the families. And, you know, not having another person sort of come in to negotiate these things because we see this turned out terrible for uh for Abba of Surah. Um,
1: I think it just goes to show that really nothing ever changes, at least not when it comes to human nature, when it comes to negotiations, when it comes to Oh, I don't know, the complex relationships that go into, you know, bridging, bringing families together. I, obviously, you know, the terms are very Gemara-ish, but it's kind of the same thing always.
0: I want to point out just one other thing before I hand it over to you and about Ahmed Aleph. Uh, after this story, there follows this whole discussion about a woman by mine Rav Yemar, Sava me Rav Nachman. Rav Yemar, the elder, asks this question of Rav Nachman. Let's say a woman sells her marriage contract to her husband. She, sh- sh- she basically sold him the right to not have to pay her marriage contract if they divorce or if, or if she gets widowed. And so the Gemara basically asks, what if she has a different uh, kitubah that's sort of provided for her male children? Does that document still stand? Um, and so Rav says, you know, you can raise this dilemma with somebody who forgoes the right to her marriage contract. And what ensues is a very lengthy discussion about whether or not she still gets this, she can still maintain uh, this ketubah binyan d'chirin. So I, I think one of the things to also notice from this passage is, is, again, and one of the things we've talked about today, our ketubah is a standardized form. They're, they're all the same. But at least in these times, and we've seen this even from other evidence, you know, from, I've mentioned many times the Kairogeniza Ketubot, people really negotiated individual things. So the Ketubah was one thing that you negotiated, that was sort of to her benefit. And then you could also have this additional Ketubah, which was sort of negotiating uh, on behalf of of male children. Um, And I think it's just interesting, again, to see all the different levels and ways that, you know, women sought to sort of negotiate and to protect themselves. Um, and I, you know, I relate this even back to the previous story that, you know, I think marriage was economic, where Papa wants to make sure he gets a good dowry, so he sort of forces a friend to come with him. Here we see the idea that a woman could have negotiated an additional ketuba to protect male children. Um, And that, you know, there was, we don't really relate to marriages, but yes, there are people who sign prenups, um, you know, if there's a lot of wealth that's involved, but it's not something that's commonly done with most marriages today. Um, And I think it's just interesting to see, you know, what I'm getting from Ahmed Alif here is just how economic, uh, you know, the marriage actually was for for the two families involved.
1: I think part of that story is that, we have kind of all bought into this notion of romantic love, which is relatively new, new in the world, what, 1800s, kind of relatively new, and it's so widespread in the Western world, and I think deservedly so, meaning I think there there are reasons that love becomes what we hope is the basis of marriage and so on, but, but I think that, the, what did you call it, you know, the financial side of things, the economic side of marriage, I think has been really most of history, I tend to relate to it in with kings and queens, right? Meaning betrothals that make, um, you know, peace and allies across nations type of things, which is maybe, you know, more highfalutin than the average, you know, the average couple down on the ground, um, you know, in the trenches. And I do think that this makes, I agree with you, that this makes me think of it more in the economic terms of it. But I think that that the reason that's surprising to us is because we've kind of been so entrenched in our own mindset in the much more, even without going to a Hollywood kind of, you know, picturesque romance, I think that there still was this shift to a romantic um, relationship, right, which was really different from the economic basis of relationship. Okay, um, I want to move on to Ahmed. Bet. bet, you know, you're, you talk here about the the... Clause that could be in the Ketubah about the male children. I want to talk about the Mishnah's discussion of the clause about the female children. nukvan minai. So that's the citation from the Mishnah, right? Again, name, saying that if you, one of the, if you have this stipulation in your Ketubah, namely specifically that any female children, you know, would be sustained from the husband's property, right? So then the Gemara is going to say, Rav Tana, the Rav taught ad detilkach till Lakhan until the daughters the daughters are basically to be provided for from the husband's um you know whatever from his estate until they're taken as to be wives to other people right to other men thevi ad de Ti ba garatn and taught, No, no, not until they're married, but until they're grown women. And of course, this to me is, you know, for all that we're looking at marriage now as much more of an economic proposition and something that was, you know, maybe very different from our our current social mores. This line to me is exactly, you know, very relevant to the way we relate to. Um, women as they, girls, as they become women nowadays, right? Do they become women when they get married, or do they become women when they hit an age of, of adulthood, and then they're expected to be, you know, uh, whether financially independent, at least you know moving towards that and on their own. La Rav, afalgav Valevi afalgav de de insiv. So the question then becomes like, would Rav say this? about them getting married right meaning that they're to be provided for until they get married would he agree that that means even in, if they become adults before they get married right on the assumption of getting married relatively young so that as as teens let's say for the for our current you know nomenclature that they would still be provided for at home but then once they hit their 20s let's say again just for the example then maybe they would no longer be expected to be provided for from the father's estate Um, that's the one question for Rav. And then the question for Levy is, you know, does Levy mean that if they're not married, if they marry young, younger than, um, hitting adulthood, you know, does that mean that Levy thinks that, that even if they're married, they would still be provided for from the father's estate. And I think that this is, again, like how far do their positions or how specific are their positions, um, when they, when they stipulate them, are they looking simply at just different ways of formulating what it means to be an adult, or are they, or are these very, or are these actually specific conditions? So the Gemara goes on, Ella, bagar Volo, insiv. So the Gemara says we're talking about a case where they've become adult women. They're not married, insiv bagar, or they were married and were not grown, grown, were not yet adults. De alma lo plige. That's where they are not disagreeing. Meaning. In the case where they have become adults and are not married or are married and have not become adults, every, everybody agrees that, that that in those circumstances, namely married or adults, they're not going to be entitled to the father's uh, ongoing provision. What Where they do disagree, Keep pliege... What happens to, uh, to one of these daughters who has become betrothed but is not yet an adult? So Levi says, right, so then this is exactly the question, right? Levy says that as long as she's still not married, meaning she's betrothed but she's not married, she's still under her father's auspices, right? Until she... Um, either becomes an adult or would actually get married, and that's how he he taught this right in. In there's a citation. The citation here is from a breita, that until they become grown women, and then likewise that the time arrives for their marriage. Tarte. So the Gemara says, do you need both? That they have to be both adults and also married. Ella o tibagran o yimtezim asava. Either they're going to be adults or they're going to become. Um, or the time, you know, the betrothal has ended because they've got, and they've they've reached the time for the marriage. The Gemara co- goes on. This whole machloke between Rav and Levi, it's really like a dispute between Tanaim, namely, Ad Matai Habat Nizonit. The question is, until when is the daughter going to be provided for from her father's estate? and there there's a statement right until she becomes betrothed, which is presumably a well at the very least it's an earlier stage than um than Ruv's position, right, meaning that she's going to get. She's going to continue to be provided for until she's betrothed, but not have to wait until she's married. But Rebbe Lezer, in the name of Rebbe Lezer, they said until she becomes an adult. Tani Rebbe and then Rebbe Yosef explained or taught, Ad Right until they become married, meaning after betrothal. So then the question is, and this is exactly the question, until they become married, does that mean that we're talking about betrothal or we're talking about actual full-fledged marriage? And they don't answer it. And the Gemara, it's one of these unusual cases where the Gemara actually says, meaning we don't have an answer. We don't know if this was supposed to be betrothal or marriage. And we're not going to even go further and attempt to, to answer what the real rule is going to be. Teku literally means that, meaning like that it's unresolved and it's not going to be resolved. And it's also, we've talked about this long, long ago, Teku is understood, Tishbi yitzaret kushiotu baayot. Tishbi, meaning Eliyahu Navi, who is also Eliyahu Tishbi, will come and he will resolve, answer, kushiot. Um, Difficulties and bayot problems, meaning we're holding this question in abeyance until we get to the end of days, and and Eliyahu Navi, the prophet Elijah, can come and answer this question. Um, tachlis, I, you know, tachlis, I'm sure they figured it out, right? If nothing else, like they could be generous and provide for her, or they could say, well, you, you know, <laughs> this is exactly the question. I, I wonder if to what extent it, it right as a real problem. Anyway. That's our DAF discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us, where you get your podcast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think of this DAF. Thank you to Rabineet Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn.